When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. As of right now, we are at war. How desperate you call on such lost creatures to defend you. How desperate am I? You threaten my world with war. You steal a force you can't hope to control. You talk about peace and you kill because it's fun. You have made me very desperate. You might not be glad that you did. There was an idea to bring together a group of remarkable people they can become something more like the battles that we never could. Welcome to Fury's Finest, a podcast devoted to discussion of Marvel Crisis Protocol. My name is Jesse Aiken, and I am joined by my co-host and good friend, Chris Ruffett. Chris, how are you doing today? Jesse, it is so wet here. It has been raining for a week and a half straight, I swear. But other than that, I'm good, man. How are you? Staying warm? I am doing my best. Who would have known us recording last time how bad things were actually to get? If you guys listened last episode, I was talking about how I'd basically been locked in for a week because of the snow and ice and freezing temperatures. Turns out they got a lot worse in Oklahoma, Chris. We hit all-time records, which is crazy. If anyone's been watching the news, Oklahoma and Texas have made the news a lot lately because of all this. And it's been a wild time here, man. Freezing pipes, no heat sometimes, no power sometimes friends have been living at our house because they didn't have heat or electricity. So a lot of people and animals living in my house. My wife's been working from home. It's been a uh, stressful week. Temperatures are starting to drop and I'm hoping next week things will be back to normal. I'm glad that you and I still found time to not only release our Sabretooth episode, but, you know, sit down and talk about a completely different character today in Marvel. It's going to be weird not talking about any mutants at all. But uh, we're going to have to survive somehow. I'm going to survive on the thought that we know they're coming back very soon, you know? So this is just going to be a brief respite from that, Chris. So as Chris alluded to, we're not in the X season today. We're taking an X season break because we got through the entire X-Men wave, Chris. And yeah, you and I are going to return to our commentary series and all sorts of things like that. But we did cover every X-Men character, which is great. Very exciting. It's been an exciting time for the game. And now we're returning to exactly where we left off in the release schedule, which happens to be Scott Lang, Ant-Man. The best Ant-Man, some would say. Some would definitely say that. And I think he's kind of become the new Ant-Man in the hearts and minds of the people, because of course, this is the Ant-Man from the MCU as well. Oh, and I'm so happy that's the way they went. We don't need Hank Pym. We just don't. We don't need superhero Hank Pym. No, thanks. (laughs) Yeah, we got scientist Hank Pym instead and retired Hank Pym and all that. 
Grandpa Pim. Yeah, Grandpa Pim, which, you know, we'll get to a bit later. But yeah, I'm so happy it's Scott Lang as well, Chris. And But before we get into Scott Lang, the Inhumans have fully released. What's really funny is I definitely don't have my copies of them yet in the mail because the USPS is shut down here right now because of all the conditions. But I know a lot of people have started getting their Inhumans. A lot of people have been painting theirs, even, you know, local friends of mine have. But now they're fully out in the game. They're a faction you can play. I'm really excited to see what people come up with in the community, Chris. I think all four of them are completely unique and powerful characters in this game that I think are a force to be reckoned with when played correctly. Though you and I did talk about, I do think they do have a certain ceiling you need to hit to maximize their efficiency. That's the way they're going to be best as a team is if you can maximize just about everything they can do. And it's going to be a really tough task. There's just a lot of intricacies you have to play with there. Absolutely. I will stand by our thoughts, Chris, on the show, just with the fact that I think Lockjaw is going to be everywhere, rightfully so. I think Medusa should be everywhere because she's just a displacement monster and powerful character. And then, of course, I think Black Bolt is very powerful and Crystal is going to be, just like we said last episode, Crystal is going to be the most understated of the group, but I think in the right hands, she will be powerful and oppressive for a three threat. Because, you know, Chris, something we've always got to keep in mind with all these Inhumans, not only are they all immune to poison, but they all have that one reroll on defense. So Crystal being 3-3-3, a long mover flyer, like we talked about last episode, she's really like 4-4-4, if that makes sense, because she gets one reroll on defense. So she's going to be quite a powerhouse. I really think she will. It's just she's going to be a sleeper. Medusa and Lockjaw are going to be everywhere, and I think they're going to fit everywhere really well and be powerful. We'll see on Crystal and Black Bolt where they end up. I'm excited for it. I definitely want to get Black Bolt on the table. I think he's appropriate for your Scott team, Chris, the living the dream team, you know, where everybody's just getting their perfect beam attacks at the perfect times, you know, that perfect scenario, everything lines up and, you know, you just kill everything. (laughs) The greatest collection of of talent the MCP board has ever seen, the, the, the believe in the dream team. Believe in the dream. Might as well throw in crossbones for good measure. You know, maybe he can can just tank some damage and pass power around, but he's my Michael Jordan, baby. That's right. He really is. And maybe Scott's team will be that one day for you, Chris. And I'm really hoping for it. I'm looking forward to it. We'll get there. In the meantime, we did get a couple spoilers teasing, I think, which is going to be the next wave of MCP, which is a very exciting wave altogether, Chris, a wave that I'm even more excited about than I was about the Inhumans, though. My excitement for the Inhumans has grown significantly just thinking about us producing and making these episodes and just how good the playstyle of the models are. But this next sort of wave is kind of the X-Men wave part two, or more appropriately said, the X-Force wave, which of course is going to be Cable, Domino, Deadpool, and Hydra, Bob. And with the latter part, we got some spoilers recently on some of the things that are involved with Deadpool and Hydra, Bob. And the first thing, which I think stands out to me a lot, Chris, is an unaffiliated card for Deadpool called the Chimichanga. It's an active tactics card. Deadpool may spend one power to play this card, add a Chimichanga objective token asset, so that means it can be interacted with, to the game. Deadpool is holding this token. At the end of a character's activation, if it is holding the Chimichanga, it gains one power and may remove one damage or special condition. Any character may use the following interactability. Interact, Chimichanga, pick up the Chimichanga token. So, Chris, 
it turns out that Deadpool has a unique card that is bringing kind of like a third crisis to the game. The Deadpool minigame, yes. It really is wild. I think it's kind of great, too. Like, it's fun. It sounds very fun. Is there any reason you're not going to do this on turn one? No, there's no reason, because you immediately gain the power back if Deadpool survives turn one, which I think almost all scenarios he will, right? It's because you're going to pay one to play the card. Right. From that first power phase, one power, because we can assume Deadpool's going to gain one power. I don't think he's going to gain more than that. And then, of course, at the end of the round, he's gaining the one power back, healing one damage, or removing a condition token. Okay, pretty cool. I love it. And, I mean, theoretically, you could drop this chimichanga and pass it off to someone else, right? You could. So we've talked recently about Toad. Toad has that Finder's Keeper's ability where he can spend power to take a token from, from an allied character. So Toad could grab it. Also, I think now... All the Criminal Syndicate players are even more excited about their powerful affiliation because now they're going to start bringing Deadpool. That's exactly what I was thinking, yeah. Yeah, he's going to count as two on objectives, which is already obnoxious because we know Deadpool wants to be close range and killing people. It's just thematic with the character. And also, let's not forget the Criminal Syndicate has that understated ability that is used less than the counting as two, but they have the ability where they can spend power to pass tokens between members of their team. So... This gets wild, Chris, because you could pass the chimichanga at the end of someone's activation to someone else before they go or use it as a keep away mechanic. There's a lot of things where this is really interesting. I think it's a really fitting objective, not only for Deadpool, but just for the design space that is the development for MCP and how unique it is. And I, I'm going to call this the third crisis of the game. You know, we've got extract secures and now potentially going forward, they might have these sort of unique tactics cards based one point crises that come up in the game and if deadpool's the only one that has it that even fits the character more potentially i mean i assume gwenpool will have something big hopes and dreams chris but yeah i think this is interesting because in a way this is deadpool breaking the fourth wall in a way he's kind of adding another objective to the game yeah also it makes a target painted on his back which i think is really cool as well because now you've added another mechanic into the game where the enemy player can score points as well there's nothing stopping them from dazing deadpool and then of course the token is dropped from him and then they can pick it up and reap the benefits as well so it's going to be pretty crazy chris too you got to think about every time someone's dazed and they drop this you know someone just dazed them and they could potentially pick it up and then at the end of their activation heal and gain a power and be ready for the next turn it's going to be like a football being passed around quite literally it's gonna be crazy it should lead to a lot of fun narrative moments oh absolutely and let's also talk about deadpool so atomic mass in classic atomic mass fashion just like that great teaser video for deadpool and of course cable and the x-force deadpool hijacked their blog and wrote a lot of crazy deadpool things very rp here and he kind of hinted at some of his own abilities he hinted at that he has the four dice double tap attack similar to what we know on Black Widow and Punisher where they kind of have that. It's only four dice, but they do it twice on the same target, which is really nice. Recently, it came up on Mystique as well, Chris, in our episodes. And then apparently Deadpool can do it three times. Oh, my. And that's what I'm gathering from the article. They hint at this, you know. They also talk about Deadpool's unique combination of Weapon X, Engineered Regeneration, and Unhinged Mind makes him an unusual piece for your opponent to figure out. While his stamina is not the highest, having Healing Factor 2 means he'll be a difficult target to put down as his body heals, cuts, bruises, and third-degree burns in moments. So he's right up there with Logan on that Healing Factor 2. 
Once again, we have Sabretooth at healing factor one. That is really interesting. I'm already curious as to what his threat cost is going to be. I assume a three, but man, I don't know. You know, they might surprise all of us, Chris. I'm not sure. They also mentioned that Deadpool is immune to enemy powers that would otherwise force him to move because they're talking about how Deadpool's mind has been destroyed in some ways by unpleasant experiences and he can't be psychically moved. So once again, those abilities like the Doctor Strange abilities of the game or the MODOK abilities where they just move models, which is very difficult to deal with. Deadpool does not care about that. So once again, it's going to make him probably more of this brawler we're assuming he's going to be. I love that. That is a very interesting wrinkle to combat some of the very powerful characters in the game. Yeah, very powerful characters that we're seeing everywhere. So it's kind of crazy if Deadpool comes out and he puts a stop to some of that in some ways, or at least puts the heat on characters like that. Right. Moving on from Deadpool, because we've got to talk about something that gets more exciting and more interesting to me by the moment. It's an article on Hydra Bob. And of course, we don't have this card yet, but we've got these great photos of an incredible miniature standing on his ammo for his rocket. He's got his giant bazooka. They talk about how Bob has incredibly low stamina and incredibly low defenses. And I think that is appropriate to start. But the curveball, Chris, is they talk about that Bob has a range four strength nine physical attack bazooka shot. This attack, just reading it is hurting my brain. (laughs) It's a lot and it's a lot to process how it's balanced. I'm not sure yet, but Oh my gosh. Well, they also mentioned that it's explosive, so all enemies around the target suffer two damage, but also poor Bob is not immune to the mutant's third law, is what they say. The shot also hurls Bob back and can damage him. I'm assuming if he collides with terrain when he's pushed back from his own gun, then it might hurt him. Now, what makes it absolutely insane, because we got this nine dice explosive AoE attack... The power cost is zero. Well, sort of. So apparently Bob has his own mechanic similar to something like Hela's soul tokens or akin to maybe Killmonger's kill marks, but very different. He has these loaded tokens. He starts the game with one, Chris, and basically his bazooka does not work at all if he has no loaded tokens. So the second he fires the bazooka the first time, the loaded token that he started the game with is spent. Then it takes him a lot of power to build those back. So it's kind of like he's going to be, I'm assuming, an incredibly low threat, incredibly low health, incredibly fragile glass cannon guy. But if he builds up his loaded tokens late as the game goes on and he fires his bazooka more, he might actually be really strong (laughs) and do a lot of damage. I could see him being a very strong character, especially if he's a two threat, as we're assuming. We are assuming that. We have no idea. He might be a three, but you know, this also made other long range characters stock go up because Chris, we might have a little sniper meta game now where it's like Mm -hmm. Bob clearly has the best range for attack in the game as of right now, or at least long range cheap attack in the game right now. But you know, there's characters like Hawkeye who can match that range with a lesser dice pool and probably kill Bob. So it's kind of like one of those things where placing him turn zero, just like a Hulk is going to be paramount. You're absolutely correct. I think he will be really bad if someone messes up turn zero because he's so fragile. But, you know, I just can't wait to hear more about him, Chris. I'm really interested. Apparently him and Deadpool have some synergy potentially with these loaded tokens. Time will tell. And I'm sure Atomic Mass will give us another hopefully cool spoiler soon. I'm excited. And I don't know if Hydra Bob can wear the X-Force, just, you know, the modern X-Force gray and black scheme, Chris, but that might be the route I go. 
No, sir. You're not allowed to do that. <laughs> I was trying to trigger you there. You did. The green's fine, but I think I would rather have him in traditional Cabal Red. Because I really do think he's going to be the new low threat ball character, but time will tell. Since he is so reliant on being placed well on turn zero, I will probably never play him. <laughs> so who knows what I'll paint him like? Good questions. Yeah, chef hat or not, you know, you've also got the chef hat options because he's a chef. I'm going to leave that one off. I knew you were going to leave that off. I was just waiting for that. Get your silly out of my serious miniatures game. Yeah, get your silly out of Chris's miniatures game about comics. Mm-hmm. <laughs> no silly here. Oh, man. This is very serious. This is the game that Cable plays in. That actually is very true. And Cable is very serious. And he probably is not a fan of Hydra Bob at all. No, sir. I am very excited to see domino's superpowers yeah she's gonna have some really cool stuff she has to i'm expecting the design level on her to be very high oh absolutely chris and i'm also really excited about cable because as a recent cable obsessed enthuse from you know various things including chris's recent love of cable infecting me i'm just super excited about a new leader in the game period one that looks as cool as cable and then one that i'm hoping can play a role that i think of cable in my mind which is like half support, half damage. I'm just excited about that. I'm hoping for that. I think he's going to be really cool. The model's really cool either way, so who cares? It's one of the best in the game without a doubt, and that's saying something when they're approaching 70 models in. Well, you know, Cable deserves it. He certainly does. But that's it for this week, Chris, on the news. You know, we covered a lot of it last week. If you guys have any experience with Inhumans at home, definitely reach out to us. If you're a patron, jump on the Discord. Show us your Inhumans builds and sculpts and what, what you're working on. We're really excited to hear more about the humans and they will be coming soon on the show but chris i think we've got to get into ant-man so let's just get going fury's finest is sponsored by discount games inc go to discountgamesinc.com for all your marvel crisis protocol and miniature gaming needs our patrons support fury's finest at patreon.com slash fury's finest if you enjoy our show consider supporting it with a monthly contribution we thank all of our patrons for their support and a very big and special thank you this week to matthew d Matthew, thanks a lot. Thank you so much, Matthew. You're making the show happen. And of course, a huge thank you. They get a shout out every week, Chris. Thank you to our Avenger producers, Matthew R. and Brett C. Thanks, fellas. Well, Jesse, this week, of course, we are going to be taking a look at Scott Lang, the best Ant-Man, the only Ant-Man in our hearts. (laughs) So like we do with every character, we're going to ask ourselves, who is Scott Lang? Scott Lang is a reformed criminal, a kind of tech hardware expert, maybe not expert, maybe he's skilled, a devout and loving father, and a bad husband. He was created by David Michelini, Bob Layton, and John Byrne, first appeared in Avengers number 181, and appeared as Ant-Man in Marvel premiere number 47. Both of these are in 1979. Ant-Man's powers are the powers to use the mysterious and wonderful Pym particles kept in a compartment in his belt to shrink, essentially, and then return to normal size. While he is in this reduced state, his strength stays at his fully sized human level. So when you compact that down, it 
he tends to pack a pretty big punch. His cybernetic Ant-Man helmet allows rudimentary telepathic communication with insects and is equipped with sound amplification equipment, allowing normal-sized humans to hear the tiny wearer. The helmet also includes retractable plexiglass face shield and has a limited air supply. And as I mentioned before, he is an accomplished, semi-accomplished electronics technician. Almost hacker level. He can get there. It kind of depends on where you're at and his story and who's writing him and everything. But yeah. So let's get into the early life of Scott Lang. He was born in Coral Gables, Florida. Started life as a movie fanatic, but he turned to burglary when his occupation as an electrical engineer just really wasn't doing it for him. He wasn't, it wasn't exciting. So he became a cat burglar. This was retconned. This is what I like to believe. Uh, This was retconned and it was because he turned to crime because he couldn't support his family is the story now, but that's Uh. not as fun. (laughs) He, of course, is apprehended, and he serves four-year prison sentence. He's paroled for good behavior. But while in prison, he furthered his study of electronics. And after getting out of the clink, he's hired by Stark International to work in the design department. It is under Tony Stark's direction that Scott actually installs the new updated security system in Avengers Mansion. But as I mentioned earlier, he is a devoted father and when scott's daughter cassie becomes seriously ill scott is forced to steal hank pym's ant-man suit out of avengers mansion because dr erica sondheim the only doctor of course that can help his daughter cassie has been kidnapped by cross technical enterprises so of course scott steals the ant-man suit rescues the doctor, the doctor saves the daughter, and when Hank Pym finds out, he even lets him keep the suit and become Ant-Man. Of course, at this point, Pym was acting as Yellow Jacket. So from here, Scott is going to become Ant-Man. He's going to initially really be focused in on kind of helping the Avengers a lot, a lot of this revolving around him coming in and out of Iron Man stories. Eventually, he will be hired by the Fantastic Four to to serve as a technical consultant. And it's during this time as a technical consultant, being in the Fantastic Four kind of while Reed is presumed dead. Of course, Reed comes back. But it's (laughs) during this time that Scott figures out that his daughter Cassie has known that he's a superhero for a long time. He's been trying to keep this from her to keep her safe and, and not have her worry about him. But she's known. So he returns to kind of join the Fantastic Four while Mr. Fantastic, the Invisible Woman, and the Thing are all missing. He forms this alternate temporary Fantastic Four with the Human Torch, She-Hulk, and Namorita. Lang then played an integral role in helping Reed Richards cure the Hulk of Lou Gehrig's disease. Very interesting. Scott actually goes subatomic and actually helps repair Banner's DNA. It's very... Very sci-fi, kind of very cool. And at this point, his ex-wife Peggy Ray gains full custody of Cassie, their daughter. Like I said, he wasn't a very great husband. But now Scott is free to join the Avengers officially. He becomes a part of the team, but he quickly begins clashing with Jack of Hearts. Jack helping save Cassie 
from a child murderer kind of eases the tension between them. But this will kind of, this, this relationship with Jack of Hearts will come back. Scott will also appear in Alias by Brian Michael Bendis. Of course, this is the story that Jessica Jones originates from and comes from, and the Jessica Jones Netflix series is based on, but Scott is actually in this series in the comics as Jessica's boyfriend. He's not a main focus or anything, but I would recommend you read it because A, it's awesome, and Scott's pretty funny in it. So now what's going to happen is all of a sudden, Jack of Hearts, a zombified Jack of Hearts, is going to appear on the grounds of Avengers Mansion, and Scott is going to rush to help his former enemy, now buddy, Jack. But Jack blows himself up. This is going to kill Scott. This is going to destroy a ton of the mansion. And it is going to start the crisis. Avengers disassembled. Now, Cassie is going to join the Young Avengers and take the name of Stature. She will also have, you know, Pym Particle powers. Try saying that one. And Amadeus Cho, before he becomes the totally awesome Hulk, will use the Ant-Man helmet with Cassie's blessing. During the events of the Avengers Children's Crusade, the Iron Lad takes the Young Avengers and an amnesiac Wanda Maximoff into the past, back to the day Avengers Disassembled begins, back to when a zombified Jack of Hearts blows himself up, killing Scott Lang, our hero. What's going to happen here is it will be revealed that Jack was actually an apparition from the Scarlet Witch. Jack of Hearts explodes again, and Iron Lad, the Young Avengers, and the Scarlet Witch are there. All of the Scarlet Witch's memories come flooding back. She's no longer suffering from amnesia. She remembers everything, and she puts things to right. And part of putting that to right is Scott comes from that moment when he died with the Young Avengers, Iron Lad, and Wanda back to the present. So his death is kind of retconned, kind of not. He's done a time skip, and he's back on the scene. Unfortunately, when Scott returns to the present, he's going to learn that his daughter is a Young Avenger. But the way he learns about it is in a fight. And in this fight, Cassie is going to be killed by Doctor Doom. Following this, he will join the New Defenders team composed of Doctor Strange, Silver Surfer, Namor, Red, She-Hulk, Iron Fist, and Black Cat and himself. And then he will become the leader of the second future foundation, replacing Reed Richards while Reed Richards and the rest of the Fantastic Four went on a wild time travel escapade. And what he's going to do, Scott, is going to divert all these resources from the Future Foundation, all these young geniuses and and various Fantastic Four arms of power, and he's going to try to make Doctor Doom pay for killing his daughter. And he does. But during the Axis storyline, remember Axis is when the moral compasses of characters were inverted. Doctor Doom was now a heroic figure. He was repentant and he wanted to prove that he had changed and he wanted to do some good. So using the Scarlet Witch's powers, he resurrected Scott's daughter, Cassandra. She's going to show up on Scott's doorstep alive and well. After this, Scott's going to move to Miami and he's going to start a really cool comic series just called Ant-Man. I recommend you read it. I think it's from 2016. It's really good. But that's where we're going to leave things off today. 
I did not know he had so many interactions with the Fantastic Four, Chris. Specifically, Doctor Doom. Yeah, it, it was big, and of course, this is this is all kind of mid nineties, two thousands ish. I'm not sure on all of this, but you're talking about a kind of a weird timeline. Marvel was really kind of searching for footing then. Well, and I'm glad he gets this much spotlight at this time too, because it really is interesting, Chris. You led with saying. He's the Ant-Man in our hearts. But really, truthfully, like we talked about, Hank Pym, you know, moves on to become a different version of Ant-Man when he actually does participate in superhero things, you know, the giant Ant-Man, right? It's like Scott really is the only Ant-Man moving forward because he's the only one who's going small and quantum and all these things, really. I know Hank Pym still does that type of stuff from time to time, but sort of his main superhero alias changes. And I'm assuming for a lot of reasons they did a lot of that. But it is interesting to me that Scott's been around this long. This is longer than I even thought he'd been around. Right. He's been around since 79. And I, I think he was just kind of on the back burner for a while. Just not not really used. That makes sense. Yeah. Somebody found him and I'm glad they did. Well, and now Scott Lang is bigger than ever because now we're going to talk about Scott Lang in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, of course, played by Paul Rudd. I was going to say thank you, Paul Rudd. Him being bigger than ever is because of Paul Rudd. Yeah. Paul Rudd is kind of bigger than life. And, you know, he has a obviously well-deserved cult fan base and mass general fan base. So the casting was absolutely stellar and perfect. And of course, Chris, they leaned more into that retconned route you were talking about where he's not just a criminal, you know, he's got all these family motivations for being a criminal early on in the films. And I think that's a good route. I mean, that's a more likable Scott Lang. Right. It's going to make him a lot easier to identify with. So that's going to get people's emotions a little bit more in on it. Personally, I'm a fan of interesting storytelling. And I like the uh, he was just a bad guy that needed more excitement bit. That is pretty interesting. I do like that a lot, too. I just don't think that would have fit Paul Rudd's Scott Lang. Oh, absolutely not. Absolutely <laughs> not. They made the right move yeah. for the for the MCU. So, of course, Scott Lang's first appearance in the MCU was Ant-Man, which is great. And then, of course, shortly after Chris, he was in Captain America Civil War. These two, followed by Endgame, are kind of his big, big movies. I know Ant-Man the Wasp was coming up as well, but... These kind of movies, I think, cemented the modern love of Ant-Man because Paul Rudd knocked it out of the park in Ant-Man. We even got to see, you know, him going super small. We got to see, you know, of course, these iconic things like the actual ants and Antony and him riding Antony. And that's, of course, the route that I pursued later in MCP, which we'll get to. But more importantly, he's immediately drug into this conflict in Civil War between Tony and Steve. And he's kind of just immediately brought into the fold. And it was actually a really smart way for them to basically bring a brand new superhero fully into the phase that they were the MCU organically. And it worked quite well because he's on Steve's side. We were all on Steve's side. That's right. And of course, he goes huge in the airport, which is an iconic scene where we've got that giant mm -hmm. Ant-Man. You, you get that that feel of giant man, kind of that feel of it makes you feel like you've seen Goliath, the Hawkeye. Yes. Pre-Hawkeye pre or mid-Hawkeye, however you want to describe that. <laughs> when he was Goliath using the, the Pym particles. It felt like you were seeing that. It was very cool. Definitely. So, of course, after that, he has a couple cameos. He is in some video footage in Spider-Man Homecoming, like always with Spider-Man Homecoming for these other heroes. And then, of course, Avengers Infinity War, he's mentioned but not in it. And then, of course, 
his next film chronologically, as in released in the movies, was Ant-Man and the Wasp. And that, of course, is them bringing the whole family together, which we'll get to next episode. But, you know, we get more of Scott, but more importantly, we get more of Scott and, of course, the Wasp being introduced. There's a lot. So we'll get more into that next time. But of course, Chris, I think one of his pivotal moments, and of course, we always say Ant-Man saved the universe in some ways, because at the end of Ant-Man and the Wasp, he's stuck in the quantum realm because the snap happened to his entire family. He gets brought out of the quantum realm randomly five years later via a rat walking in his van. And to him, it's been five hours, but it's been five years for everyone else. He goes home. Cassie is a fully grown woman, which is a crazy thing as well. And they have a really nice moment, really emotional moment. And then of course he gets in contact with the Avengers and he kind of brings the whole quantum plan forward, which actually leads to the time travel, which is crazy. So it's all instigated by Ant-Man in that final Avengers Endgame movie. And then of course we've got him mentioned as a picture in Spider-Man Far From Home. And he of course has been a hundred percent confirmed in Ant-Man and the Wasp, Quantum Mania, that's Ant-Man 3, coming in the future soon. There's a lot. They're making up lost time with Ant-Man. I prefer to say Wasp 2, but, you know, whatever you gotta do. Ooh, that's actually true. It has been confirmed now that Cassie is going to be a major character in this third Ant-Man movie. I hope we see her become stature. That would be so cool. It might happen, because if they cast her as a main, I'm thinking something like that's going to happen. Mm-hmm. They are bringing in these these new this new generation of heroes yes. awful fast. You can see what they're doing. They're trying to get, get us to buy <laughs> America Chavez comic books, and I'll tell you, they didn't have to try. I already was. <laughs> Very good. So, Chris, mentioning comic books, that, of course, leads us to your comic book recommendation for Scott Lang, Ant-Man, this week. Okay, I've got two. I really need you guys to read Jessica Jones, but not just for Scott. Actually, not for Scott Lang at all. He's in it. It's cool, but it's just a really, really, really great read if you haven't read it. But if you want more Scott Lang, I think you should read Astonishing Ant-Man by Nick Spencer. It's really fun. It's kind of this more modern timeline that we didn't get to in lore today, so you're going to be catching yourself up to almost present with the character through that series. And it's, like I said, it's just fun. Well, I will definitely check that out, Chris. I'm excited to read more about Scott Lang. He's a character I don't know very much about, though I do know a lot about the Ant-Man suit and sort of its powers. And that kind of leads us to closing our lore today, Chris. So final thoughts on Scott Lang and the Ant-Man suit and Ant-Man power set, because we kind of went through it briefly today, but the Ant-Man power set is a very unique and bizarre and super pulpy sci-fi power set slash suit. It's really unique when Hank Pym originally had it. And then of course, Scott has it going forward. And then I think just talking about what all your thoughts are on the suit and the powers and then into just who is Scott Lang in a nutshell. Scott Lang is a good guy, a really good father. He makes some boneheaded choices sometimes, not always the smartest. But like I said, I, I don't know. I'd almost say that he's kind of chaotic good in a way but yeah he's just a really fun good relatable dude i like that i like that a lot and he's got a really unique power set because he has no actual superpowers akin to a hawkeye 
But of course, he has unique sets of skills and then this super powered, crazy scientific suit, which enables him to do many, many things. Also, Chris, it cannot be understated. My favorite part about Ant-Man, this is going to be pretty predictable coming from me, but my favorite part about Ant-Man is the telepathic helmet, how he can communicate with insects. I just love it. It creeps me out, but also think of how, how powerful that would actually be. Powerful, unique, and also just kind of being able to communicate to animals that we just can't communicate to period you know unlike other animals that we can communicate to on almost levels. alien yeah right so it's just sort of a crazy thing and then of course i've just always loved ants as a kid i just think they're so fascinating their hierarchies and colonies and you know how they work and it's just absolutely amazing so them being woven into his stories is actually very interesting and that was a fun part they made kind of tongue-in-cheek but also serious and fun in the movies they did a good job All right, Chris. Well, that's our lore on Ant-Man and Scott Lang. I look forward to hearing more about him in the future, you know, just if he ever comes up in other stories, because I am intrigued to hear more about him. And, you know, I'm obviously a sucker these days for good father-daughter storylines. Right. I think we've got to move into strategy because this is going to be a tough one, Chris. I know you're looking forward to it. I've already got a headache. Let's go. His name is Ant-Man. His alter ego is Scott Lang. He's a medium move, a height of two. We're going to change it up a little bit today, Chris, because it turns out we've got a new mechanic in the game. So we're going to go over his defenses, his stamina, and his threat cost. His defenses are three physical, two energy, three mystic. His stamina is five, and his threat cost is three. On his backside, his defenses are the same, and his stamina is also five, putting him at 10. Now, of course, Chris, the curveball that we all know, it's still crazy though, is this is the first character in the game where his movement and height are different depending on which size he is. So normally Ant-Man's movement is medium and his height is two, which is normal. But if he's tiny, his movement is short and his height is one. What are your initial thoughts about our three threat Scott Lang? There's so much. For three threat, you've got two different versions of of a character. So already going in, we're we're hitting high value. Right. And complicated playstyle, as we very Oh yeah, well it's know. gonna be complicated. <laughs> we can of course comment on Chris that he's the average health ten and that his energy is one notch lower than average. But it's something we've seen before in other three threats. Yeah, they usually make up for it in other ways. He's almost all, everything baseline of a three threat, and then you add like he's a medium move, a height two, a cost of three, defenses three two three instead of three three three, and of course five stamina. He's literally the average, but then you add in this whole other crazy factor that he's got another form that things change in different forms, and so we're just have to get into one bit at a time. So I think what we're gonna do today, Chris, is we're gonna go in kind of a strange order because Ant Man can do some weird stuff. He can change size. So there's a new mechanic in the game. It's called change size or transformations, I believe is what it's called on the rule set. And when you basically transform to another version of the same character on the same card, because once again, Ant-Man's card is a sideways card. So he's got double information on the front, double information on the back. You bring out a range one template, which of course is the bottom of the stick. And you put it along the base of the character And you can essentially teleport them range one, and then you transform them into their new 
size, which I'm assuming going forward in the future is always going to be a different miniature, Chris, like this Ant-Man, which is honestly my favorite part. I just think it's so cool. Oh yeah. We're going to get some really cool stuff with this. Like I can already see some wild things. Yeah. I'm assuming we're going to get characters that change size and get oh yeah bigger. So their base size might even get bigger. So this range one transformation, which this is the first time we've seen it, but in the future, it might lead to even more movement shenanigans because you might have a range one into a different base size or just crazy things. So I'm really into it. It's very complex though. So just to wrap your head around how I man's going to work, think in those terms. So his first attack on his normal sized side is Pim Particle Punch. It's a range two, strength of four, zero power cost strike. After this attack is resolved, this character gains power equal to the damage dealt. But it also has a bullet point, Chris. After this attack is resolved, Ant-Man may transform into Ant-Man Tiny. If he transforms, he drops all objective tokens he is holding before transforming. So once again, if he's holding a token, he does have to drop it. But then he gets to move range one. So he's doing a strike, which is only four dice, which we know is the low end on strikes, Chris. But no matter what, you get a free transform out of this. So even if the strike misses, even if you get no power, you still get a range one teleport. Yeah, I can I can see some shenanigans forming already. Absolutely. And that's just the beginning. The next attack he has on his normal side is Bullet Ant Barrage. It is a physical attack. It's a beam three attack. Very, very cool. It's going to be seven strength and costs four power. If this attack deals damage after this attack is resolved, the target character gains the poison and stun special conditions. It's very powerful. That's very good. Beam three conditions, a lot of attack dice. Very cool. Yeah. Giving conditions auto, Chris, we've always talked about on the show how much we love that. Beam 3, not as powerful as Beam 4, of course. It's a little more limited range, but you could still get two or three characters potentially with this. And, you know, keep in mind, even if you whiff entirely, they're gaining poison and stun, which is really nice. Mm -hmm. Now, it is very expensive, and it turns out Ant-Man probably wants most of his power for mobility, which we'll get to in a little bit. But this is going to come up every once in a while and make a big impact. Okay, so let's close out his normal side, Chris. And I'm going to read these two superpowers before we move on to the tiny side. His first superpower on the normal side is change size. It's an active superpower called change size. Costs one power. This character drops all objective tokens it is holding then transforms into Ant-Man Tiny. The change size superpower can be used only once per turn. Now notice, Chris, it says this is the change size superpower, which is turn into your small self, teleport range one. Notice that does not interfere with the strike free teleport. Mm. So there are some weird things going on here. There are some certain ways you need to chain this to even make some of it happen. But just things to think about. And his second and last superpower on this side is an active superpower called Pim Particle Control. Costs one power. When Ant-Man is targeted by an enemy attack or would suffer a collision, you may use this superpower. Ant-Man drops all objective tokens he is holding, then transforms into Ant-Man Tiny before the attack or collision continues. First question everyone asks on this, and it's a valid question, that's why I'm going to cover it. Does this get you out of an attack if you transform to Tiny behind line of sight blocking higher terrain than your height? No, because the attack was already declared before the dice were rolled. So Ant-Man, when he's Tiny, when he's size one and he's behind a size two terrain, no, he cannot be attacked unless someone can actually get around and see his base. But if he was already size two, his normal 
human size. And then he's using this as a reactive superpower. Well, the attack's still getting through because he was targeted before he transforms. Does that make sense? It makes perfect sense. Just keep that in mind because it is still a really nice tool because once again, it's a way to teleport further back. Once again, even if you got outside of their range, you're still going to be targeted because you were targeted before you did your cool little reactive thing. You don't like stop their attack like a Loki, but still really nice. You could get behind some cover. You could kind of reposition. That's a nice tool for that. So let's move on to the tiny side now. He's going to have one attack on his tiny side. It is going to be a physical attack. It is ant-sized uppercut. It has a range of one, six attack dice, and it costs zero power. It is a standard strike. You will gain power equal to the damage dealt. And after this attack is resolved, this character transforms into Ant-Man normal. No choice. Not optional, yeah. Notice on his first strike, the four dice one, it's May. This one, you have no choice. Though, Chris, you do notice that we kind of gamed the system and we now have a six strength free strike. Exactly. I will mention, though, it comes with a caveat, which, of course, is our first instance of a range one strike in the game. Very difficult. That's that's close to your target. That's very close to your target. Which is perfectly fine on objectives and stuff. It's going to happen a lot when you're fighting on objectives, but any other instance, it's probably never going to happen. So you just got to think about how to use it. But once again, Chris, you have to transform into your normal size. That's fine because once again, you get to do some crazy, fun teleport movement shenanigans. You're teleporting range one. So things can get strange, you know, and it's really great. So keeping in our theme of on his normal side, his tiny side also has change size, an active superpower that costs one tiny Ant-Man transforms into Ant-Man normal. The change size superpower can be used only once per turn. So exactly the same wording and everything, Chris, as the normal size. I really don't think you're going to try to ever use this on this side personally, because turns out you get a free change size by just doing your six strength strike. And I also think the tiny side, you know, cover and everything is nice. Yeah, there's not much point in using this on the tiny side at all. I can't see a point to doing it, but it's there if you're smarter than me and figure it out. Yeah, you might just use it for movement shenanigans just to get to an objective at the end of a round. That's kind of what I was thinking. His next superpower is also going to be an active superpower. It is Hitch a Ride. It costs zero power. Place Ant-Man within range three of its current position. This superpower can be used only once per turn. What? <laughs> it's so good. That's wild, y'all. It's Antony. I love it so much. It's his flying ant. It's a free mm-hmm. superpower that you're going to use every single time you're tiny because why would you not use a free web swing every turn? It's Miles' web Absolutely. swing. Absolutely. It's great. This is amazing. This is part of the reason why you use Ant-Man. You can do interesting things, Chris, like walk up with normal-sized Scott Lang punch somebody with the four dice strike. Maybe it didn't happen. Who cares? Now you get to teleport range one into tiny Ant-Man. Now you can hitch a ride for free for range three. So now you're netting range one, a base size, range three, a base size. Who is this man? (laughs) A very mobile character. It's very nice. In closing out Ant-Man's card on his tiny side, we have two innate superpowers. We have the innate ability stealth. Characters must be within range three of this character to target it with attacks, which we know is always good, Chris. This, of course, makes Ant-Man very safe past range three. So anything (laughs) range three all the way up to range five and beyond, right? He's fine. 
If he's in range three, he can be targeted. But of course, if he's in range three, he can hopefully strike at range two or range one and then do all these teleporting shenanigans. Exactly. Also notice something you mentioned about Miles, which I thought was great. Miles has stealth as well, and he has a web swing for range three. Ant-Man has stealth and a hitch a ride for range three. Well, what does that mean? That means if you go later in a round, you can basically guarantee that Ant-Man can't be attacked because you'll just hitch a ride at the end of your activation outside of attacking range. And I think it's great. It's very useful. In closing out his final innate superpower, it is Tiny Superhero, which is a new innate superpower we have never seen. This character may reroll any number of defense or dodge dice. Additionally, this character cannot hold objective tokens. So once again, a huge upside with a huge downside. When Ant-Man's tiny, he cannot hold objectives, but he can reroll all of his defense dice. So those three defense dice that didn't block anything, you can reroll all three. Maybe you rolled three dice initially and got one crit and exploded a crit into the pool. And now you've got two blocks out of the four dice and you just reroll those last two dice. I mean, there's some really nice options here, Chris. It just adds to the reasons I want to be in tiny form as much as possible. It's true. You really do. But you cannot hold objective tokens. You can secure objectives, which I do think is really cool. So the objectives that are sitting on the map, you could actually be by and be contributing, but you can't hold extract objectives. So there's a whole feature of the game. Which that is kind of a bummer because you really love those extract objectives on mobile characters. You do. And, you know, the smarter players out there that actually have invested some time into Ant-Man, you can be tiny for a lot of the game, but then when it's time to actually hold the extract objectives, you can carry them as normal size Scott Lang. And that's perfectly fine. And of course, keep in mind too, Chris, that when you go tiny, you have to drop an objective. And that's fine if you're in the safe hands of your other allied characters on your team, because if you're far away from the enemy, you drop a token on your ally's side. Well, of course, they can pick it up next activation, but it does take a lot of planning, a lot of intelligent play, and a lot of practice. And we've talked about Ant-Man's injured side. Nothing changes. He still has five stamina. He has all the same abilities, Chris. Basically, you just got to learn this one side of his card, but it turns out the one side is two characters. So it's a big deal. It's a lot. It's a lot. And, you know, some things we got to talk about, some drawbacks, obviously, of the tiny side. We've been singing his praises, but it can't hold objective tokens, which, of course, is a huge drawback. And then secondly, you are short movement on your tiny side. So he's medium movement on his regular side, short movement on the tiny side, but then you get that free hitch a ride range three, which does balance out. It gives you more movement either way, but you got to keep that in mind as well. Definitely something to consider while positioning him around the board and trying to make sure you're staying within that stealth range. Absolutely, Chris. And I think the biggest thing you want to do with Ant-Man and the hardest thing to master is to rarely pay for change size. It doesn't matter what form you're in. You want to rarely pay for it. But the way you do that is by doing his strike on his normal and tiny sides respectively. So you've really got to position him well, get a strike off, and then get the free change size for the extra movement, for the, you know, just crazy objective shenanigans, all of it. One power is not that bad, but you don't want to be paying that all the time. That's just a giant power suck that we just don't need. We have beam attacks to pay for. We have a really cool beam attack to pay for. 
and we have a nice strike on our tiny side that we don't have to pay for. But, you know, Chris, you talked about in last episode, some ideas you had for Crystal. And I, I think Ant-Man's a similar way. If you're managing Ant-Man really well, you're keeping out of harm's way, he's just striking a lot and not really spending a lot of power. I mean, he's also a decent tactics card character. Well, he does have a really powerful tactics card that I think we really do need to talk about. We do, because it's a card that Wasp can use as well. And I think it's just so cool. It is Pim particles it is unaffiliated and it is an active card ant-man or wasp may spend two power to play this card so it's an ant-man or so it's one or the other not in conjunction choose another allied character within range three of this character then choose an interactive terrain feature of size three or less within range three of the chosen allied character the chosen allied character throws the terrain feature medium so cool so even characters that can't throw you're giving them a throw so this is just ant-man and wasp for magneto's team right (laughs) right yeah or just any team that's lacking throws period chris because they don't have enough tactics cards to choose from as it is yeah we talked about that last week they've they've got a scarcity of them no they've got too many too many good tactics cards yeah the theme on this to me, Chris is incredible. Throwing the pin particle to another member of your team who's who's not Ant-Man or Wasp, and they use the pin particle to, of course, throw some terrain and create some havoc. And the artist is incredible. They're making a traffic cone become giant and become a size three terror. So cool. Yeah, I think this is a card you really want to consider with them. And so the last bit we need to touch on on Ant-Man, because we're of course we're going to cover more with Wasp, but where does he fit in the way of teams? And what's really interesting, Chris, is the only team Ant-Man is affiliated with right now is the Avengers. And what's really strange about this, and why we probably don't see a lot of Ant-Man in the game, the Avengers affiliation leadership discount a superpower by one to a minimum of one does not affect ant-man at all unfortunately that's a real bummer and it almost feels like he wasn't meant to play in that affiliation i understand why he's affiliated avenger for lore purposes but he screams to me as a character that you know pardon the pun that will fit into many many other lists Yeah, I really do think he will. Of course, the problem we encounter in Marvel Crisis Protocol all the time is there's so many great three threats. And once again, this is another great three threat, which of course is much harder to use than the other three threats. So I think Ant-Man's kind of gotten a tough shake in this game. Number one, because of his release schedule, he came out sandwiched between (laughs) Web Warriors, the Spider-Foes, and the Defenders all coming to the game. That's tough. And he was only affiliated with the Avengers, where he provides nothing except affiliation numbers, which is nice. I mean, you can bring Ant-Man and Wasp into Avengers lists just to get your affiliation number higher. But turns out, Chris, the Avengers have one of the biggest rosters in the game. So it's not like they were struggling to get their affiliation numbers higher, you know, to get that more than half of your team. But Scott is here for that role. I think he's fine in Avengers for that reason. But I think you're right, Chris. I think he fits other places and the places I like to play him and the places I think he fits currently for me is the criminal syndicate and the cabal number one the criminal syndicate i think is his best team because they like sitting on points ant-man has a lot of mobility (laughs) 
he can get to points. Also, Ant-Man being tiny, counting on a point as two people, is incredibly obnoxious and incredibly powerful. (laughs) And I think he's viable in the criminals because, you know, some of the criminal syndicate's biggest weaknesses are that they do have a lot of slow characters. You know, people like Kingpin, Modoc, and Crossbones come to mind, though they do have some medium and long movers as well. But Scott takes medium long move, all that, knocks it out of the park. I mean, Chris, this man can get more than half of the length of the entire table in one turn easily. I love it. It's great. It's absolutely wonderful. I mean, you can do shenanigans like we're talking about. You can turn one, change size, hitch a ride for free, get within range with somebody, punch, turn into normal sized Ant-Man, get a range one move. You see where all this is going. Maybe get some power off of that. It's just a lot of things going on, but I think he fits the criminals really well for that reason. And I have him in every criminal list I currently run, but also Cabal. I think he's a decent damage dealer. And I think this bullet and barrage, Chris, which you and I are both so enamored with is right up the Cabal alley because it's a beam attack. So every time it deals damage, he's gaining power. So you want to talk about him being power fed where he can change size at will. Cabal could work as well. If he's power fed, he's also handing out conditions on a ridiculous basis. I mean, that's true. They're automatic if they get hit by that beam. So it's just, you know, if, if he's got enough power to do that twice and, and spread those conditions around to the opposing team, that, that is incredibly obnoxious to borrow a phrase you used earlier. Right. And I think that's his goal, Chris. His goal is not ever going to be to kill anyone or to do crazy swing plays in the game. His goal is to be obnoxious, take objectives, move around the board at will faster than anybody, stay in stealth, be a problem for your opponent, but so much of a problem where they feel bad taking a couple activations to take him off the board. They feel bad doing that. So in a way, he's Scott Lang like we see in the MCU because he's bringing attention to himself so the heavy hitters can move up the field and close out the battle. But, you know, he's putting himself in harm's way to do that. But I think he's a character where you can do that with Chris. And of course, he's a three threat, which are the bread and butter of Marvel Christ Protocol. So sometimes your three threats are just going to move around the board, contest objectives and die. And if they've done their job, they've done their job. And I think Scott's a good player to do his job and do it well he does his job also i have been playing ant-man and wasp a little bit in web warriors and man does it feel fun to re-roll your dice in tiny form innately and then get some web warrior re-rolls on top of that oh i believe it man so thematically i think he fits pretty well in the web warrior team too because they love mobility they love moving around the map and getting objectives they don't really like fighting and ant-man doesn't really love fighting either necessarily so i think he's a good fit on that team as well so once again chris he fits a lot of places it's your choice the hardest part about him, of course, is player skill and reps. And turns out I've still got a lot more reps to go with Ant-Man because I'm barely scratching the surface. I have yet to play him, honestly. So after this episode, though, I actually feel confident enough to put him on the table. I'm a big fan and I'm really looking forward to fielding him and Wasp together because I've not done that yet. And just purely for fun factor alone and that Pim Particle card, got to try it. Have to, man. You have to. Fury's Finest is supported by our wonderful patrons. You can become a Fury's Finest patron by going to patreon.com slash Fury's Finest. Catch our streams of Marvel Christ Protocol at twitch.tv slash Fury's Finest. Check out our Fury's Finest merch on tpublic.com. Of course, we link the tpublic page in our show notes every 
week. You can follow the show on social media. Follow us on Twitter at Fury's Finest Cast and Instagram and Facebook at Fury's Finest. Email us with any questions or inquiries at furiesfinest at gmail.com. Leave us Apple Podcast reviews. It helps us out a lot. Thanks to Approaching Nirvana for our intro and outro music. And like Jesse said, guys, it really does help a ton if you rate, review, and subscribe. You can find us on social media. You can find me, Jesse, on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at Jesse Aiken. That's J-S-S-E-E-A-K-I-N. And of course, I have a Star Wars podcast all about Star Wars story, canon, and lore, the canon cantina. Chris, where can everyone find you? You can follow me on Twitter at Chris Bruffett, C-H-R-I-S-B-R-U-F-F-E-T-T. Chris, that was a fun episode. That was a very different change of pace from our very intense, very convoluted, and very serious sometimes X-Men episodes. Yeah, this one, much more straightforward, I guess. Less time travel. There was a little bit. (laughs) There was a little bit. Always a little bit of time travel in Marvel. They just can't help themselves, Chris. But I look forward to next week. But until then, thanks for listening. True Believers. Excelsior. The world has gotten even stranger than you already know. At this point, I doubt anything would surprise me. Ten bucks says you're wrong. 